in the city but right now somewhere on the west coast of the united states i have dan savage good morning dan morning well, i should say afternoon to you yeah, it is uh, afternoon here. Uh, but uh, soon you'll be joining us and uh, sh- sharing the same time zone because you're on your way to uh, Dunedin uh, as part of Science Tower 2015 Sex and Science. Uh, you are the keynote speaker. You're a, um, a sex advice columnist and also a journalist. Uh, many things, a man of many talents. <laughs> That's kind of you. <laughs> um, now, sex, it's a huge topic. Um, it's a topic that uh, is part of all of our lives, no matter who we are. Um, I guess um, an age might be a different uh, thing within that. But um, you must have been quite crazy to take it on. It was an accident, actually. I mm-hmm. met somebody who was starting a newspaper, and he was telling me about it at a party, and we were both drunk. And uh, I said, you should have an advice column, because everybody reads those. You see that Q&A format. You can't not read it. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's excellent advice. I want you to write the advice column in my <laughs> newspaper. Um, and I wasn't angling for the gig myself. Uh, and we decided it would be a sex advice column. And the joke would be that I would give sex advice to straight people. But I'm a gay guy, and I would be giving sex advice to straight people. Mm-hmm. And initially, the column was just a, just a lark. It really was a joke. I was going to treat straight people with the same contempt and revulsion, and straight sex with the same contempt and revulsion, that straight advice columnists had always treated gay people and gay sex with. Yeah. And that's what I did, and straight people loved it because <laughs> they'd never been treated that way before <laughs> by an advice columnist. And we kind of, in that first year or two, by accident, it turned into a real sex advice column. Yeah. Uh, you know, the joke kind of played out, but letters kept pouring in from straight people who really liked my advice, they liked being slapped around, and they needed help. And suddenly, this was my job. <laughs> <laughs> Were you qualified for the job? The only qualification you need to give advice is somebody was uh, foolish enough to ask you for it. Yeah. <laughs> when you look up advice in the dictionary, it says opinion about what could or should be done. You don't really need any qualifications to share your opinion, as political pundits prove every night on the television. Oh, indeed, indeed. Um, but I mean, where were you? Where would you have been for not that drunk conversation? <laughs> um, I have the background in theater, and I have uh, been writing and directing plays for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I probably would have uh, headed to New York and tried my luck there instead of directing and writing plays in Seattle, which is a little bit like. Um, you know, conducting the symphony at the bottom of the ocean. The doesn't news doesn't travel far. People can't hear that. Yeah. Um, now you've been doing the column for for twenty years or so, which is a bloody long time. Um, but what was the beginning like? You said you know um, you've said how how you got into it. But in, in terms of the LGBTQA. Uh, QIA movement uh, since since the beginning, you know. Uh, well, I mean, you left, it, off of, you left off letters there. Ah, uh, well, there's just so many. Yeah, I had that chat last week with Jesse. There were so many, and people want more letters added on. We're going to get. We're going to get the. It's going to be a quick brown fox scenario soon. I think we're going to just. We should just sing the alphabet song twice to cover all the bases, make sure we hit everybody, and be done with it. I think so. But I mean, in terms of, um, you know, did you get a lot of pushback from the establishment? I mean, I, I guess a, a lot of people got a lot of good advice out of it and a lot of kicks from it. But I mean, you know, this is the 90s, um, you know, uh, 90s in, in America, which is, you know, as far as what we see from, from New Zealand, it's, it's quite a conservative country. 
Um, yeah, there was a lot of pushback. Um, the thing I set out to do and the thing my publisher here in Seattle was brave enough to let me do uh, was something that nobody else really did in print. I let people use the language they actually use when they talk about their sex life mm-hmm. um, instead of switching into some sort of health class Sanskrit when you talk about sex. And I uh, had fun with it. Like, you told jokes. You, know, you think about when you go to your friends for advice. You know, you're at a bar, and you've had a couple drinks, and you tell them what's going on in your life, and the very first thing they do is make fun of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people joke around, and then they give you some advice. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's what I uh, set out to do in the column. But it wasn't just, you know, the fact that I was letting people really be very explicit. Uh, it wasn't just social conservatives or people with hang-ups about sex with a problem with it. A lot of gay people had a problem with it Yeah. Um, when I started writing the column because I got a lot of questions from straight people about gay sex, and I would answer them very explicitly and thoroughly. And that freaked a lot of gay people out because, you know, for a long time, the posture the gay rights movement, LGBT movement took to the, with those questions, when someone asked, you know, what do you do in bed? We were supposed to say we read and we watch television and we sleep and sometimes we make love. What do you do with that? I just get sort of indignant and huffy about it. Yeah. And when people would ask me, you know, how anal sex worked or uh, whatever, you know, how do you avoid getting poop on your dick during anal sex? I would answer that question and answer it and answer it until people were begging me to stop answering that question. (laughs) Because I think, you know... um, I think a lot of straight people really had hang-ups about gay people that were tied to not understanding uh, the mechanics of gay sex, which mm-hmm. aren't that much different than the mechanics of straight sex. No. Which once you know about it, you quickly realize. And I think uh, it helps people get over what's different and see what's the same if they understand the differences, rather than you know being told that that's a terrible question that they shouldn't have asked and how dare they. Yeah, uh, there should be a place they can go to get that question answered, and Savage Love was that place and still is. Yeah, I, I guess you know there were probably a lot of like self lubricating questions and uh, <laughs> things like that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, after doing it for so long, do you still get shocked by what some oh. people ask? Yeah, yeah. There's always somebody getting their, you know, their dick cut in a caught in a electric pencil sharpener or something yeah. appalling. Um, you know, the big difference between doing the column now and doing the column 25 years ago when I started was there was no Google and there was no Internet 25 years ago. Yeah. So I got asked a lot of really rudimentary questions. And I missed those questions because those were really easy columns to write. <laughs> if I was hungover or on a tight deadline, I could whip out a column on what is a butt plug. Because people would hear like butt plug or cock ring and be curious about what those things were. And they would ask me, and that was an easy question to write. And now, of course, butt plugs have a wiki page. And anybody who can get the email to ask me what a butt plug is can Google it first and find out more than I could fit in my column about it. Yeah. Uh, so all my questions now are really complicated uh, situational ethics. You know, I did this, they did that, here's what happened, who's right, who's wrong, what do we do next? And those questions are so much harder to answer. It requires so much more thought. I can't be drunk when I write those columns. <laughs> well, thank God for that, though. Otherwise, you'd be out of business. The internet would have put you out of business like a lot of people a long time ago. Yeah, I'm always saying here in the States, because the religious conservatives and political conservatives are always attacking comprehensive sex education and trying to uh, successfully keeping it out of the schools or trying to get it taken out of schools where it exists, that these people, many of whom hate me, I'm hated here by the religious right, mm-hmm. right? that these efforts of theirs to destroy sex ed just keep me in business. It's a Dan Savage full employment program, and I I appreciate it very much.
Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised how you do what you do in America. It's the least free land of <laughs> uh, of the free on on earth. It is. It, it's just you know, I, Canada got the French, and Australia got the convicts, and we got the Puritans. <laughs> we are still dealing with the fallout of that. That sad, sad deal. I wish more than anything that we could trade uh, the Bible Belt for French-speaking Canada. Just an even swap. Yeah, yeah, Canada yeah. would never go for it. All right, just go a little bit more south. Go to the Creoles. You're almost there. You almost got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, is now is the world fucked up, or is it, you know, or is the world's view on sex fucked up, or is sex fucked up? Uh, both. I think there's a little yin and yang there at work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I kind of think sex negativity is hardwired into the human experience in some ways. Yeah. Because, you know, I got a question once uh, at a live event where someone said that they were afraid to have sex and, you know, virgin, they wanted to have sex, but they were scared of sex. And how could they stop being scared of sex? And my answer kind of shocked everyone in the room because my answer was, you should be scared of sex. Sex is big and sex is powerful and Mm -hmm. consequential. You know, sexually transmitted infections, unplanned pregnancies, intimate partner violence. There's a lot of ways uh, the pursuit of sex can really go south, and you can really get chewed up. And so you need to approach it with a little fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to let, you know, you want to mitigate for those risks. You want to be smart and cautious about it. You still want to go do it, yeah. because there's a lot of joy and pleasure there. I always compare it to snowboarding. <laughs> Everyone, every day, people slam into trees, snowboarding on mountains, or fall into crevasses and die. And, you know, you try to control for that, and you carry a beacon and a backpack, and you stay uh, out of the backcountry if you're not skilled. Uh, but you don't, the people, the world doesn't say, you know, no one should ever snowboard. No. You just want to be smart about it. And the same approach we need to take to sex. You need to be smart about it and careful and mitigate for the risks. But at a certain point, you know, you have to accept that uh, anything that's pleasurable, anything that's anything, Anything that's getting out of bed in the morning and going and doing it carries some degree of risk. And, and just like snowboarding, you need to get a bit of practice before you get any good at it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's something that drives me crazy about people's attitudes during sex. That it should be natural, it should be spontaneous, and if there's love or passion, you'll be good at it. And that's not true of anything else. No one's good at you know, making fried eggs or playing the violin or snowboarding the first time they do it. Everything worth doing requires a little bit of practice mm. and nobody is uh, nobody's really good at anything without some practice. But I mean, what is natural in sex? The old in and out? I mean, everything is natural and everything's <laughs> not natural. Right. Because <laughs> like you said, you brought up like the pencil, sharp- the pencil sharpener before uh, and there's all, you know, people get pleasure out of all manner of weird and wacky things. Um, so there's nothing really natural or that's not natural, is there? I mean, people are putting screwdrivers down th- their jap eyes. And they're liking yeah. it. Yeah, we're we're an infinitely and wonderfully perverse species, and we should embrace it. You know, dinner is complicated and, mm-hmm. uh, in our culture, in human culture. Why shouldn't sex be complicated? We could all just, you know, eat porridge and chase squirrels down in the park and rip them up with our teeth yeah. and call it a day on the nourishment front. Um, but, you know, we have elaborate sort of rituals around food, around sating our, uh, our need for... Uh, that, that nourishment for, for food and yep. why shouldn't our uh, rituals and, and enjoyments of sex be as elaborate and pleasurable I mean everybody out there has their own kind of you know whether it be big or small has a kink or has something that they think is different 
with and uh, mm-hmm. what they enjoy with sex. So, I mean, everybody from the people that legislate in Congress and the states to everything. Um, so, but why do they still treat it as it's taboo, and why do they still fight against things that they even enjoy? I mean, you've got so many congressmen that get caught in bathroom stalls at um, airports. <laughs> well, just one, not so many, just one. But we have a lot of people who've been caught uh, engaging in the thing that they, you know, criticized or railed against. And that's just such transparent um, Freudian hoo-ha, you know. They've mm-hmm. externalized their internal conflict and are waging war against it. They're trying to slap the pornography out of your hands because they have so much tucked under their beds that they feel guilty about. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, anytime anybody is attacking someone else for their private, consensual, uh, non-harmful uh, pleasures and uh, pursuits and things that they do with their partners that give uh, both or all parties joy, you have to look at that person and wonder just how many dead Girl Scouts they have under the mask at home. <laughs> Um, you've talked all around the world, and you're coming to our fair little little city, Dunedin. Here, um, are, are you shocked by uh, the views in some places you're seeing, or like are you like, man, this place is so like, this, I'd love to live here because it's so open and. <laughs> You know, like I said earlier, I think humans are sort of naturally a little messed up about sex because sex is scary. Also, when we're young, you know, you hear about sex and when you're a kid, you ask where babies come from. You hear about sex and you think that's disgusting. Mm. Adults are weird. I'm never doing that. And then along comes puberty and you're going to do that whether you like it or not. You suddenly you're you're like, whoa, you're getting dragged into that Storm. So I think people all over the world are, you know, have their hang-ups. And hang-ups can be unique in particular cultures. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think sexual hang-ups and religiosity move hand-in-hand hand because religion uh, took up as its mission thousands and thousands of years ago uh, regulating sexual expression because it was the fastest way to control people. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, to seize control of them because uh, people are always going to transgress and then always need intercession if you could convince them that their natural, non-harmful, consensual uh, desires uh, would get them in trouble with everyone's imaginary friend or friends. Well, yeah, so, so it's, all over the world, everywhere you go, people are a little messed up about sex. So it's not Thank true. God, it keeps me in business. Yeah, yeah. So it's not true that the French are way more liberal than us. It's just the certain li- liberal scenes within France that have just come to the fore. Yeah, they're they're more liberal in some ways and uh, less liberal in others. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at look at same sex marriage. Same sex marriage uh, came to the United States, and basically our protest is the usual suspects of anti-gay groups and this one county clerk oh, who's yes. an idiot. <laughs> and in France, same sex marriage came, and you have hundreds of thousands of uh, basically right-wing fascists in the streets protesting. Yeah, and shutting down the center of Paris. So there's some deeply seated probably tied to the Catholic Church, homophobia in France, that's much more pronounced and has been much more violent than homophobia even in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess you do. You know, the United States isn't as Roman Catholic, I guess, so yeah. Um, now, what do you enjoy more, straight sex questions or ones around the politics of sex and sexuality? Uh... Golly, I think that's just the straight sex questions. Uh, you know, a long time ago, uh, before I started blogging, I, I did fold a lot of politics into the column. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still do, but not nearly as much, because uh, I blog about politics instead of uh, seizing the opportunity of this advice column to to get political on people's asses. Yeah. Um, I enjoy I enjoy writing about politics a lot, uh, but I really enjoy those straight sex questions. And I feel very honored, in a way, you know, um, 
that all these great people think uh, uh, trust me with their their issues and their problems. I think I'm the the, the person to ask about their straight sex lives and their straight sex problems. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that's quite interesting because, well, as as a gay man, how do you even know? Ah, that is projecting. Or not projecting. I know. I'm, I'm being cheeky. That is a <laughs> no, no. I get that all the time. People say that. All I the bet time. you do. Where do you get off? How do? What do you know about straight sex and straight relationships? And that's just uh, straight people projecting onto me as a gay person their own ignorance of gay relationships. Yeah. They don't know anything about gay sex. They don't know anything about gay relationships. <laughs> so they assume that I, as a gay person, couldn't know anything about straight sex or straight relationships. Yeah. And I'm standing there and I look at them and I go. I am the product of a straight relationship. I am the product of straight sex. All of my siblings are straight. All of my relatives are straight. The whole culture is straight. I tried to be straight. I made a very close study of what it was to be straight because I tried to fake it. I had straight sex in that effort to be straight. Yeah. And so I know about straight sex in in a, in a way that most straight people do not know about gay sex. So don't you can't assume straight people shouldn't assume that gay people are as ignorant of straight sex as they are of gay sex because it's not a, a not only is it not true it's impossible yeah, for us yeah. to be as ignorant indeed indeed um well just quickly um career highlights what 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 is your you know what's your most your, your biggest highlight or, or just or just one of them that you could uh, let us know about um well terry and i started the it gets better project yeah uh, it's fantastic which we started yeah i i launched it on my podcast and in my column and ask my readers and listeners to create the first videos and to get the It Gets Better project rolling. And it mm -hmm. just took off. And now there gets better projects all over the world and hundreds of thousands of these videos and um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, uh, if not thousands of uh, young people whose lives have been saved and touched and changed and improved by you know this wealth of, of knowledge, um, coping mechanisms and strategies for getting through bullying or adolescence that young queer kids were cut off from mm -hmm. for so long. Um, and that is perhaps, I think that's the my proudest achievement, that I had built this audience. And then when I had this idea, I was able to go to them and say, let's do this thing. And my readers and listeners made that happen. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I don't know if you know, but here on campus at the University of Otago, we have a full-time uh, queer support. Uh, and have had for, for many years and it's, it's fantastic and all the work they do uh, and I had them on the show quite often and um, so it's, it's so that, that movement that you created was, was well you know we wish it wasn't important but it is and uh, you've done a fantastic job so you should be very proud and I'm, I'm sure you are uh, I am and yeah. when I said that I'm proud it's like uh, I have to I always you know the It Gets Better Project is what it is and it's had the reach and impact it's had because other people made videos. It's yeah. not that Terry and I made hundreds of thousands of videos yeah. with me and Terry running our mouths. So um, I'm proud of what the, all of these, everyone has participated, helped to create, not just, just us. Fantastic. Um, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to me this morning or this afternoon for you. I know you're busy about to jump on a plane. Um, so, yeah, thank you. And I can't wait to see you uh, this Friday at 6 p.m. at the College of Education Auditorium here at the university. Uh, keynote speech. It's uh, going to be fantastic. It's going to be the Science Teller 2015 is uh, going to be a brilliant event. Uh, and we're lucky to have you. So I can't wait to meet you in the flesh on Friday. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to it. All right, brilliant. Thank you so much, Dan. Bye. Bye. Dan Savage, the American author, journalist, blogger, uh, sex advice columnist, uh, an all-round lovely man, will be here on Friday, part of Sex uh, and Science, Science Teller 2015, uh, keynote speech 6 to 7.30 on Friday.
uh, Inversaurus will be there doing uh, a bit of improv as well, and then there'll be a book signing uh, from Sam, uh, sorry, from Dan and uh, a few more of the speakers on Saturday. So get down to that. It's going to be brilliant. Right here is some gold knacks with Give Me Some. You're on the one, 91FM.